This is Matthew Cutler-Welsh with Passive House Accelerator and thanks for tuning in to this special bonus episode of the Passive House podcast recorded live at FierceCon 23 here in Houston, Texas. And a big thanks to Zola Windows for their support for this series. I'm here with Shelley Poloff, who kicked off an amazing start to the conference. Uh, how are you feeling, firstly, Shelley, after your intro? It, you know, the reaction was great. Just, you know, as we're pushing these bounds of like, it's not simply the technological side of it. There's a social side of it. Um, there's a people and places that we have to reach as we're doing this work is, is the message we're trying to convey. And the response was just really powerful to see how that's hitting people and inspiring people. So feeling good about it, feeling good about where this community is and what we're working on. Well, it sounds like you've been a big part of creating that community, particularly here locally and bringing a pretty strong group of uh, diverse people together. How, how does that come about? So when I, um, I walked out of corporate architecture probably was 12 years ago, I think, and it was because I realized that when you're working in that realm, you're really in a, long, a lot of ways a cog in the wheel of uh, replicating the system. And that was never my intention in becoming an architect. So I just took a leap. And, uh, you know, I did the work to make sure I had the skills to to reach other um, contingencies, other people who we weren't reaching through architecture. So that includes re- becoming a regenerative practitioner. It includes public interest design training. And once I had those skills, I just got out there and started meeting people. And it was really through the urban farming, actually, um, community in Houston through permaculture, where I started to meet some black and brown uh, urban farmers. And and that was kind of my way into these neighborhoods to be like, look, um, I know you're not getting design services that you may need here. I'm I'm here. Like, you know, tell me what you need and how I might help. And so it kind of started there. I quickly realized that I and my small team wasn't enough to really provide everything that they needed. And so the Prairie View A&M opportunity opened up. And I'm like, well, this is perfect because I can now – get those skills to uh, the next generation of people who come from these these communities so that they can do that work themselves. And so that's really how it all evolved over time. And that, that it ended up being a really great uh, passport into, into these sorts of uh, initiatives that are now proceeding. You gave a great history lesson in Houston and you've got some heritage here which was fantastic to hear I really like the context that you put around that and I like the idea the fact that you you laid it all out there you talked about oil and you know I guess it's the elephant in the room a little bit for people here who are about sustainability and decarbonization Um, how does somewhere like Houston and even Texas to that for that matter how does it transform that is a yeah, that is a big question, um, and it's one that that has been also central to my thinking and even becoming an architect in the beginning. 
Um, and so I've been studying Houston for a very long time and have that history and understand a lot of the dynamics working here. Um, in terms of transforming, one thing that I just want to say is that there are a lot of people actually in Texas. You wouldn't think this when you're looking at it from the outside in, but there's actually quite a lot of people here who are thinking along these lines of transformation and moving beyond an oil-based economy um, who are working very hard at it. It, it is challenging. You know, there, it is still oil and gas still very much have a stronghold here. And you do have different sides of that equation. My own family is in oil and gas, as, as I mentioned. Um, so I, I don't I don't have the answers. But what I do know is that if we face it head on, if we call it what it is, if we are willing to have those hard conversations with people who may be on the other side of the aisle, for example, um, that's a start. Uh, and we have to just continue to do that work and have the hard conversations. And then, you know, I think in the end, like the best way for transformation to occur is simply to produce something that's better than what we have. So if we can imagine that next version of of a built environment or just life in general that we're aiming for, if that's better than what we're offering right now, then people will gravitate towards it naturally, and then the old system will fall out. Um, and, you know, I think we just keep moving in that direction, and eventually, as things continue to give, because they're going to have to continue to give as the climate continues to um, progress in the wrong direction, then at least you've built up a stable or at least another option like we have to keep building the alternative option even if it seems like on the ground it's not moving fast enough we have to keep doing that work because things can change like on a dime when they have to or when a collapse occurs and so i think we just keep doing the work basically you talked about not having any uh, figurative red lines around buildings, and most passive house people know about drawing red lines around buildings. I really like that image of, of, uh, and the statement you made of no more externalities. Is it possible to do that without regulation, or does that rely on some sort of enforcement to include all those external impacts that you're having? That's a great question. And I think that we do need policies to help us out because, you know, anyone who was working in, in these front edges, whether it's passive house or whatever it is, um, you do run up against it, whether it's a, a policy thing or it's an economic thing. It does make it hard to get something into reality because those, you know, they're real. There's a real kind of challenges that are placed in front of us. So I think we have to keep pushing on those fronts. We have to keep pushing on the policy fronts. We have to keep talking to politicians. We have to keep going to jurisdictions and working at that level while we're also trying to work on the ground just to build, you know, a affordable passive house. Like, so it's a both and situation. It's not an either or. Um, I've forgotten where your question was to begin with, but you know, that's, we have to work in both ways, I think. And, and in all ways, really. I think what you're alluding to is you, you got to, and I've heard it um, spoken about or a lot this week, is having the carrot and the stick. And, and what you talked about previously is providing inspiration and, and, and pulling people towards something better. But it's also useful to have some people that, some sticks to, to sort of pick up the bottom as well. 
Yeah, well, you see it in um, the way that affordable housing, the HUD kind of housing projects, so whether it's in New York or Pennsylvania or Massachusetts, where now everything, all the, all the passive, all of their um, affordable multifamily is going passive house pretty much because of a policy change, right? Yeah. So that is to say that, yes, policy changes will help us to get there. And I don't even know if that's so much a stick so much. That's more like a carrot to me because it's saying, like, you will get funding if you go this route, you know, and so we need that kind of support. Um, codes getting to be like if we could get codes to be net zero yeah I mean it helps like we need to keep going in that direction Massachusetts is certainly going in that direction and we need to continue to do those things Houston's um, updating it's I think it's new code is going in effect in January I'm not sure which version we're at here but um, you know it's not as aggressive for sure like Houston is not as aggressive as say the Massachusetts of the world, but it's not off the radar either. It's still being talked about and pushed and it, you just have to keep at it and keep working at those levels too. You said, uh, and, and a number of your panelists um, alluded to architecture potentially changing lives. Uh, and there were some great stories about that. And there was a uh, lot, I really, um, I think a lot of the audience felt the, uh, conversation about sovereignty and having um, just a better way of, of living, which is similar to your outreach early on and, and wanting to do more, particularly around social justice. Um, it's all great stuff, but how do you run a business doing that? Is it is it profitable? Is that is that doing that work? pay the bills well let me put it to you this way and i and i have to say too that i live in vermont now so i'm a native houstonian four years ago my wife is from vermont and so we we moved to her hometown and so i work now in both places both here in houston and in vermont and in vermont i work with new frameworks and we are working on all these issues at the leading cutting edge and we are yes making a business doing these sorts of things and really thinking every day like how do we move from building homes for millionaires to building homes for, that are affordable for, you know, anywhere from low income to medium income. And we're working on that actively and, um, yeah, starting to make, make that work. So it is possible. Yeah. It's not, you know, you, you need some leaders who are willing to take some risks, I would say, to, to make it happen. Yeah. And uh, just to finish off with, you want to do a little plug for the, uh, the project that you're, you're working on at the moment that, because that looked pretty pretty cool. Yeah, so Fly Flat was designed by students at Prairie View. It won the Race to Zero competition back in 2018, and also a city of Houston complete the community housing competition. Um, it's really designed not only to achieve passive house, but also to regenerate the neighborhood. That's really its underlying thing. And there's multiple parts to that, and, you know, there's complexities involved. But, you know... The built environment is very much part of that. It's about resilience. It's about being able to shelter in place in the, in the, when, the, when there's a power outage or there's a flood or whatever the case may be. And it has, we'll have a microgrid on it that is 
going to be overproducing enough to basically power an entire neighborhood block. So we've been at this project for five years now. The city of Houston has committed to building it, um, which is amazing. They've been an amazing partner. And, there's, you know, we've gone through a pandemic and, yeah. you know, multiple site locations, but it's moving forward. It's going to get built and hopefully it'll start to transform the way we think about affordable housing here in Houston and everywhere, really. So where's the best place for people to find out about that? So if you go to the Passive House Houston website, there's a link at the top for Fly Flat, and it has all the history of the project. And then at the bottom, if you'd like to donate to help us get everything that we envision happening with that project, there's a place to donate as well. Awesome. Hey, well, thank you very much for your time, Shelley, and thank you for a great start to the conference for a lot of people. It was a very inspiring and uh, very appropriate uh, intro to Houston and and to uh, to the potential for, for Passive House. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for all the work that you do and keeping us all informed and just getting the word out. I appreciate it. <laughs>